I always love coming here. By the way, it's buzzing. Uh, the last time I was here, it wasn't anywhere near as big as this. So if you're new to the church, please keep coming along. It's a fantastic place to be. And this is a place where you can meet with God and have your life changed if only you're willing to keep coming and hearing his voice and responding to him. Now, the church here are beginning a, a series in a book called Hebrews, which is, is a fantastic book, but it's, it's pretty heavy core stuff. And we're going to read the first four verses of Hebrews chapter 1 this morning. So if you get a Bible, look it up, Hebrews chapter 1, just the first four verses. But you'll see what I mean when I say it's hardcore stuff. Because in these four verses, some incredible stuff is told to us. And we need to open up our minds and really think hard. Because the implications of what we're about to read can, can make your life different and change everything in your life from here onwards. Let's read together. Hebrews 1, uh, beginning in verse 1. Long ago, God spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors, to the prophets. Now, this was written 2,000 years ago. So imagine how far back that goes when back then, 2,000 years ago, he's saying, God has spoken many times and in lots of ways to our ancestors, going way back in history. Verse 2. And now in these final days, he's spoken to us through his son. And God promised everything to the son as an inheritance. And to the son, he created the universe. The son radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. And he, that is the son, sustains everything by the mighty power of his command. When he cleansed us from our sins, he sat down in the place of honor at the right hand of the majestic God in heaven. This shows that the Son is far greater than the angels, just as the name God gave him is greater than their names. That's all we're going to read for this morning. The book of Hebrews, which you'll be looking at the next few weeks, is one of the most significant books in the whole of the New Testament. And its timing was absolutely vital to the early church. Uh, most Christians back then um, had grown up as Jews. Now, even though the Apostle Paul, his ministry was mostly to Gentiles, people like you and me, the bulk of Christians back then still came from a Jewish background, and Jews were all over the ancient world. Judaism is much smaller today. But back in New Testament times, uh, you could find a Jewish community in every major city across the world. About one person in nine of the world's population were Jews, and they all lived in their own communities. It was a very tight-knit group of people. And it was from that tight-knit group of people that lots of folk then became Christians. And they weren't exactly flavor of month with, with the Jews themselves, even though they shared so much. Christianity emerged from Judaism. Jesus himself was a Jew. He went to the synagogue. He went to the temple to worship God. But he was also claiming to be Messiah. And that was the thing that divided the Christians from the Jews. They, they shared a belief in the Old Testament. They all believe in God as a creator of the world. They shared a belief in the Ten Commandments. They shared the same kind of Judeo-Christian worldview and ethics. The difference was that the Christians believed that Jesus was the Messiah, the fulfillment of all the promises of the Old Testament, and the rest of the Jews didn't. And so they saw the Christians as a kind of a, 
a sect which they really didn't like and the pressure they put on them was extraordinary. And can you imagine, if you were growing up as a Jew and then you became a Christian, you began to follow Jesus as Messiah and nobody likes the fact that you become a Christian. Nobody likes the way you look at or think about Jesus. But your family are all Jews. And your neighbors are all Jews. And your kids go to a Jewish school. And your employer is a Jew. And everybody you've ever known and been close to is a Jew. And suddenly you believe that Jesus is Messiah. That's a very uncomfortable place to be. And what happened as time went on was some of these Christians became so beaten down and so struggled with the pressure they were feeling from their Jewish neighbors who really disliked their commitment to Jesus as Messiah. They began to give up on Jesus. Or at least even if they continued to uh, respect Jesus, they, they, they saw him as maybe just a, a, a good man or a great religious leader or, or perhaps an angel or something like that, but, but not quite God's Messiah. And so the writer of this book, we don't know who the person was, even male or female, we have no idea. He wrote this letter to all of these Christians struggling in their Jewish communities to say, don't give up. Because if you let go of Jesus, if you for one second think that Jesus is less than he really is, then you've lost everything. So whatever the cost, however tough it gets, hold on to Jesus. And this whole book is a defense of the centrality of Jesus in all of our lives. And you get a taste of that in just these first four verses because what they're saying about Jesus is quite staggering. Let's just go through the verses one by one. Long ago, God spoke at many times and in various ways to our ancestors through the prophets. Now that's essentially the Old Testament, which was delivered over a period of about a thousand years. Now here's the thing. God so wanted to reach out to fallen human beings. Now, we're all fallen. You know you've got faults in your life. And if you don't think you have, ask your, your kids or your husband or your wife or your friends, do I have any faults? Well, I'll quickly tell you. We're all flawed. And we always have been flawed, which is why the God who made us has a right to be upset and angry because we, well, to use a Bible term, we sin. We, we do wrong things, and you know you do wrong. Stuff that you do, things that you think, the way you speak to people, your attitudes, even your attitude towards God, it's wrong and you know it. But God is a God who loves, and so persistently over this thousand-year period, he kept speaking to people through his prophets. Some of the prophets have talked about God's love, others talked about the sin and the fallenness of, 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 of humanity. Many of the prophets talked about social justice issues because God was angry with the way we as human beings were treating each other. And persistently again and again and again, God speaks and God speaks and God speaks because he wants to reach out to us to assure us that even though we're fallen people, he still loves us. He still cares about us. He still wants us to have a future. And so God kept speaking for century after century as he sent prophet after prophet. And after the Old Testament came together, in these last days, God has spoken to us through his son. Now think about that for a second. 
why would God speak to the son? Well, talk ultimately can be cheap, even if it comes from God. It can be cheap. I, I took a bus ride a while ago. This is a few years ago. I jumped in a bus in Motherwell. I don't like buses, by the way. It's not my favorite form of transport. So I went to the back of the bus. I, I had my book open, just reading a book, uh, passing the time. And at every stop, I just looked up to see who was getting on the bus. And at one stop, uh, an older man got on. I was at the age of my dad, I guess, uh, late 70s. And he was clearly disabled. And he got himself uh, hobbled down the bus and plunked himself in a seat. And a younger man, early 20s, I guess, quite big, thick-set guy, went and sat next to him. And then, uh, after a while, I smelled something. And I looked up. The young guy was smoking a cigarette. Not allowed to in Scottish, but I'm sure it's the same down here. And, and the old guy said, put out your cigarette. And he said it in a quite a gruff manner, typical of Motherwell people. They're not the most polite always. Uh, and the young guy just told him to, I, I won't say what he said, but it wasn't very pleasant. So the old guy reached over and just took the cigarette out of the young guy's uh, mouth and threw it in the floor. At which point the young man attacked him. And I was astonished. Here's a disabled elderly man getting beaten up by this thick-set big young guy and a crowded bus they just looked didn't do a thing nobody moved a muscle and I couldn't believe it so I jumped up and threw my book in the, on, the, on, the, um, on the seat and I ran down there and I grabbed the young guy dragged him out of his seat and I tried to pin him against the other side of the bus thought you can see how skinny I am far bigger than me and I could not restrain him I wasn't strong enough physically Focus sat there. Didn't do a thing. Didn't move a muscle. And I thought, I, I, I can't hold him back. He's way stronger than me. I'm going to get a doing here as well. Until one, I was going to say elderly, but she's in her 60s. So not that elderly. Sorry for those of you who are, I'm not far off 60, by the way. Um, she got up, and with her handbag, she began whacking him across <laughs> the head with a handbag. I was relieved because I was getting overwhelmed by the size of this guy. And eventually at the next stop, um, she kept beating him so hard, he jumped off at the next stop. <laughs> now, I sat back down, frankly, quite shaken. Now, I like a good scrap. I, I, I always have done, but uh, I, I was still quite shaken. Uh, and I thought to myself, a whole bus full of folk. And I'm sure they all thought, that's appalling. Imagine a guy like that hitting an old man like that. Didn't do a thing. Can, can you imagine a God who um, knows the plight that all of us face? Because God knows your heart. And he knows that because of all your flaws and your sin and the things that you've said and done, he can never let you into heaven because, frankly, you don't deserve to be there. And neither do I because we're all flawed. Can you imagine a God who keeps talking and saying, I love you, but doesn't do anything about it? In these last days, God has spoken by his son. And can I say the incarnation that we sentimentalize, the incarnation means that God became a human being. And we sentimentalize it at Christmas time with the lovely manger scene and the animals round about the, uh, the, the manger and we send each other Christmas cards. All that stuff's lovely, by the way. But it's so much bigger than that. Jesus, who has spent all of eternity in heaven became one of us. Now, I, I don't know, anyone here worried about the cost of living crisis? 
hands up if the cost of living crisis worries you. You must all be loaded by the way. <laughs> if you've ever had that question, can I pay my rent? Jesus actually knew what that felt like. Born in poverty, in a backwater, never went to university, never was an elite, and then spent his entire life being slagged off for being the child of what they thought was an illegitimate relationship because he was conceived before his parents ever came together. So who's the real dad? Living without ignominy in a deeply conservative religious society and then being scorned and rejected and hated by all the elites, the well-off, the powerful, the religious people. And then I want you to look at that painting at the back there. It's, it's one of the members of this church who's done that painting. I, I've shown that all over the country, by the way. I took a photograph of that last time I was here. I love it. That middle cross, that's where Jesus died. And on that cross, as he hung there, and crucifixion was a, a, a disgusting, a horrific way of dying. As he died there, every wrong thought that you've ever had, every wrong thing you've ever done, every rotten deed that's been yours, God blamed him. And he punished him. And Jesus took the punishment, the justifiable punishment for all of our wrongs. That's what that verse means. God doesn't just give us cheap talk, he asks. And he so loved us that in, the, in these last days, he gave us his son and Jesus died on that cross so we could have life. And then look at what the verse goes on to say, the, the next verse. God promised everything to the son as an inheritance. Now, what do you give the person who's the most deserving person, not just on earth, but in the universe? My wife uh, deserves a lot of reward because she lives with me for a start. We have an exhausting week, and my wife wasn't feeling well, and I reminded her uh, yesterday morning, by the way, all the young folks are coming around tonight for a barbecue. Now, it, it's, it's the worst possible news for her after a, a really busy week in which she also has been quite unwell. And uh, she went up to bed. I could hear her coughing all night while I was downstairs with the young folk having a barbecue, and they didn't leave till uh, late last night. She deserves a medal. What does Jesus deserve for potentially saving the whole world? I say potentially because you don't need to be saved. If you choose to walk away from God's salvation, it's on your shoulders. That's you. That's you. But Jesus has made provision so that every person in this room can end up in heaven. So you can be saved if you so choose to follow him. You can be. What do you give to the person who has saved the entire world? You know the one thing that Jesus wants? It's you and me. The reward that God has given to his son Jesus for the most spectacular deed in all of human history is to give him everything God has made. And that includes you and me. We are Jesus' reward for the work that he did on the cross. Now, how valuable 
does that make you feel? It's astonishing, isn't it? That you are God's reward to his son for what he did. Then look at the next verse. Verse 3. Actually, even before we get to verse 3, through the son he created the universe. Hang on a second. Um, I, I, I thought you said Jesus was a, a normal man. Yes, he was a normal man. In one sense, he's a fully human being like you and me. But, but he's also got, let's not forget that the incarnation doesn't take away the fact that Jesus is actually God. The creator of everything that you can see. I, I've, up in the growth center where I work, we've had some building work done. And in, in one sense, I, I, I decided we're going to do some building work here. I didn't do it myself. Use an architect, use some bricklayers, use some joiners, use some electricians. And they did the actual work. When you talk about God being the creator of all things, and of course he is creator. But he and Jesus are so linked together that the person he used to do that creating was Jesus. We're dealing with something extraordinary here. Now look at verse 3. The Son radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. Those are two expressions that you'll only find in this book and no other book in the Bible. And they're remarkable expressions. The Son radiates the glory of God. Jesus and his Father, God the Father, are so linked, they are so one. Jesus actually said that in John 14. Philip said, Jesus, um, we really love you, but we want you to show us the Father. And Jesus said in verse 9, Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. They are so linked that wherever Jesus went, he took the full glory of God with him there. In the manger, on the cross, in people's living rooms, out in the fields, in a fishing boat with his friends, God in all his glory was there. Because wherever Jesus went, because he was God, because he was so linked to the Father, he rated the very glory and, and, and presence of God there. And, and that, that, that second expression, um, he expresses the very character of God, everything that's true of God, the fullness of what it means to be God is found in Jesus. And that is, that is by the way, mind-blowing. Because here's this human man, and if you were, um, I've got a plaster in my finger. I did some DIY. We, we didn't have a lock in our downstairs toilets. of all the young folk turning up, Debbie said to me, you've got to get a lock in that toilet. I've been nagging you for ages. And because I put the screwdriver through my finger. Had that been Jesus, he'd have bled. Human being with all the feelings, emotions, struggles that you and I face. And yet he shares the very nature of God. So while he's living here in time and space, Jesus was not created like you and me. Yes, he was born, miracle of the incarnation, 
But that baby that was born has always been. And actually, he wasn't given life. He just has life. There's a staggering verse in the New Testament that says this. Just as the father has life in himself, so the son has life in himself. Now, what on earth does that mean? Well, um, I'm going to ask all of you just for a second. Take a deep breath. Everyone take a deep breath. And then breathe out. And hold it. Don't breathe in again. Don't breathe in. Now wait till the first person says it. I, I'm only joking. You can breathe. Don't worry. You can breathe. If I put cling film over your mouth and nose at that point, then just wait it for five minutes. You'll be dead. Or if I locked you in a room here and nobody came back here for a month, with no food, no water, you'd be finished. We are such weak, fragile beings. We need everything around us to sustain our lives, and you wouldn't be here if it wasn't for your parents. And actually, for God creating you in the first place, your life is given to you by God, and if God hadn't done that, you wouldn't exist. It's not true of Jesus. That's what that verse means. God, of course, has always been because he's God. Yeah, but so is Jesus. And yes, he physically was born as a physical being 2,000 years ago in Bethlehem. But he's always been. Always. Never had a starting point. Never began his existence. He has just always been. He doesn't need anything else to sustain him because he's not frail like us. He's self-existent. The son has life in himself. Now, I know that's hard to get your mind around, but that's who Jesus is. Always been. And then look at the next line. The writer goes back to the whole idea of creation. Look at the second half of verse 3. He sustains everything by his mighty power. Now, this is the universe he's talking about. The universe that Jesus helped to create. He sustains it all. Now, the universe is vast. Uh, I was, I was um, listening to one of these YouTube things recently about the Hubble telescope. And apparently, it's discovered a new constellation, which they say is 300 light years away. Now, light, as you probably already know, 186,000 miles per second light travels. And they discovered this new constellation 300 light years away. So what the Hubble telescope is looking at right now, that beam of light, actually started all that time ago, traveling at 186,000 miles per second for 300 years. And they still say we haven't reached the edge of our universe, the known universe, because it's vast. And the universe is in constant motion, but it's not random. He's sustaining it. And that's not only true for the universe, it's true for your life. I, I, I had a scan this week in the hospital, a heart scan, because of some genetic defect I have. Um, 
And, and one day my heart will stop beating, hopefully not for a long time, but you never know. My mum died when she was 56. That could happen to me too. Even the sustaining of my life is not random. That human being who walked on earth and sat in people's living rooms and told them about God's love and had dinner with them and, and maybe used their toilet as well while he was there. He sustained it all. That is who Jesus is. And then look at the next verse. When he had cleansed us from our sins, the second half of verse here, when he had cleansed us from our sins, remember what I said? Jesus died on that cross so we could be forgiven. That's why he was here. He came to die. He came to bring us forgiveness. When he had cleansed us from our sins, he sat down at the place of honor and glory next to the majestic God in heaven. Now, let me tell you why that verse is so important. I know lots of people who just think Jesus is a good man. I was talking to some folk in Birmingham a couple of weeks back. A number of folk from different religious groups. And they have a respect for Jesus, but he was just a good man or a prophet or something like that. Maybe he might have been an angel. Who knows? But that's all he was. That's a really dangerous thing to say. Because God was so pleased with what Jesus did, saving us, that he gave him the entire universe as his reward. That's how much the Father valued the Son. And right now, Jesus sits at God's right hand because God the Father says, This is my Son. He is the King of the universe, He is the greatest being that has ever been. And I demand that you worship him as God. That's what God is saying. So if you say, well, I've got respect for Jesus, but he's really just a good man. How do you think God feels about that? That's a really dangerous thing to say. Because the God, God the Father honors Jesus by giving him a name above every name that has ever been this is my son, the savior of the world, the Lord of everything. He sits in my throne with me. He shares my glory. And I expect you to see him in that same way. That's God talking. God talking. And the clue is in verse 4. This shows the Son is far greater than the angels, just as the name God gave him is greater than their names. What was happening with some of these Christians is, under real pressure from their Jewish neighbors, they were kind of playing down the significance of Jesus. Yeah, we still love Jesus, we still worship him, we'll still sing nice songs about him, but maybe he's not really the Messiah, maybe we're... We'll just think he's an, an, an angel or something like that. And we'll, we'll worship him, as an, venerate him as an angel, but, but he's, he's no more than that. It's just to have an easy life. The writer of Hebrews says, you don't have that choice. You haven't got that option. The God that you still claim to believe in puts Jesus on the throne of heaven 
Don't you dare say he's only an angel. Now, folks, that, that relates to you and me. I know that most of you probably are followers of Jesus. You're Christians. You, you worship him. I get that. Fantastic. You're a child of God yourself because you, you believe in Jesus. I don't know all of you. I, and it might be that some of you are in church here because you do believe in God. You are a theist. You believe in the Bible. You believe it's true. You're maybe not yet at the point where you've actually bowed your knee to Jesus. And you've surrendered your life to him. And you've asked him for forgiveness. Now you've got a, a real challenge in your hands right now. Because God declares who Jesus is. And if for one moment you think Jesus is just a good man, a great teacher, a great moral example, but that's all he is, one day you will have to stand face to face with the God who declares that Jesus is in the throne of heaven. He's God, the creator, the sustainer of all life, and the savior of the world. That's who God the Father says he is. So please listen to Hebrews. As you go through this series, hear what the Bible says about who Jesus really is. And that's the choice you're going to have to make. Will I continue to see Jesus just still a, a great moral example that I should revere and look up to? Or will I acknowledge him as my Savior and my Lord? If you're at that point, this book is written for you. But you don't actually have to wait for the rest of the series to do something about it. You can do something about it right now. And if you want to talk to me afterwards and, and discover how you can become a Christian and become a follower of Jesus and have all of your sins forgiven and receive new life and a change and a transformation of everything in your life. I'll be sitting up here for about five minutes or ten minutes after the service. Come and speak to me. And I'll help you to get to know Jesus as your Savior, just for yourself. Let me just pray my hand back to Jenny. Father, thank you for this extraordinary book. May we love studying Hebrews together. May we listen to your word, but I thank you most of all for Jesus, who has come to be our Savior. Those of us who are Christians, help us to just rejoice and enjoy Jesus. Because he's not just Savior, he's friend. Help us to celebrate him and love being his followers. But if there's someone right now this morning who hasn't yet begun to bow the knee to Jesus, help them to recognize who he is and respond. In Jesus' name I ask this.